let me let me start off with inshallah the discussion on diet diet plays a, a really major role in in our everyday life we are what we eat as the old adage goes we are what we eat because what we eat has various different influences and effects on us for example I was in Scotland last night or this morning you can say I just got back in and the iron brew which is the Scottish national drink they were actually complaining because they've reduced the sugar in there and it doesn't taste like it's supposed to taste but there's as you, you've seen Iron Brew, it's a very orangish, yellowish, orange, kind of deep orange kind of color. To get that color, they use this particular sunset orange or whatever, which is supposed to create hyperactivity in children. Or people with attention deficit, it's supposed to aggravate that situation. So there's actually a warning on there that this may create. And it actually says it on there, but they still put it in there. So... That's agreed kind of upon that uh, foods affect us in different ways. According to the Hellenistic medicine, according to the early philosophers like Aristotle and Plato, they, consi- they talked about humors in food. What that means is that they split food up into those which are warming foods and those which are cooling foods. So for example, the watermelon is supposed to be a cooling food. That's why if, uh, if your mother or grandmother ever told you if you got a cold or whatever, that don't do this, you'll get a cold. And the doctors never say that here. Right? That's because they're going by those ideas. And in fact, there's some truth to that because even in the hadith, we're told to combine between dates and cucumber, for example. Dates and... Uh, what would you mix with dates to cool it down? Coconut is another one you can use. Coconut is supposed to be cooling. Dates are supposed to be warming. There's different fruits are like that as well. Some are supposed to be warming, some are supposed to be cooling. One is, I mean, they're not cold. They're not like they've come out of the fridge. But they're supposed to be cooling like watermelon. Now, of course, if it's cold as well, then that's going to be even more cooling, physically cooling as well. So that they try to keep the balance of the body. So now when we're fasting, the whole point of fasting is that we actually decrease our food in all or altogether. We actually decrease our food. But unfortunately, it just seems like we just change the timetable. So instead of having lunch and dinner separately, we try to do a lunch and a half a dinner at iftar time. And then at suhoor time, we do dinner and half dinner and full breakfast. So we end up eating the same amount sometimes. And then we don't have time these days to do a post-tarawi meal. But then that sometimes comes in as well. So the idea of Ramadan, Hazrat Mawlana Ash-Shafali Thanwi he said that, he summarized it. He said the point of Ramadan is taqlilu ta'am, taqlilu manam, and taqlilu ikhtilati ma'al awam. What that means, he says, Ramadan is to decrease your food, decrease your sleep, and decrease your meeting with people, with general people, right? The way you do taqlilu ta'am is because you don't have a lunch. 
So you're supposed to eat less. There's supposed to be one less meal in the day anyway. Taqlilul manam because you have taraweeh. So generally that encroaches on your night. It's supposed to, but nowadays it doesn't because people stay awake for longer hours anyway. And then you have to wake up a suhur, a suhur, sehri. That's supposed to... So there's, a, there's an imbalance that's created in your life, in your daily schedule. And when you're unbalanced, it helps to rethink. It helps to gain taqwa, to control the nafs. When you're not in your normal... Because you get more time to think about things. And then, how is it less meeting with people? Because generally in Ramadan, we still go about our daily needs, right? That comes in the last 10 days. If you do i'tikaf, then you will decrease your meeting with people. You're going to say, but we still have people to meet in the masjid, right? There's loads of people in the masjid. Increased number of people in the masjid. That's fine. No i'tikaf is hermitude. Because remember, Allah doesn't want us to be isolated completely. Right? If somebody does that once in a while for a particular reason, that's different. But as an ibadah, where there's no hermitude in Islam where you just take off and you don't meet anybody at all. We do i'tikaf in the masjid. But that's restrictive meeting with people. So what's going to happen is you're not going to meet with the general people. You're not going to meet any non-Muslims generally because you don't generally have non-Muslims in the masjid. And even among Muslims, you're going to have those that come to the masjid. And the Prophet has actually said that if somebody comes to the masjid, bear witness that he's a believer. So your connection at that point, just for 10 days, is just going to be with believers. So you're not in solitude completely. You're meeting with some people, but it's only with those who are believers. So that is what, when a person does that, then they're supposed to come out of Ramadan from this type of retreat after having changed your food style, your sleeping style, and your Ramadan style. So now in terms of foods, there's loads of lists online that you can find. If you search for Ramadan uh, food, dietary you know, suggestions or advice, there's, there's so many people that have given these advices. And some of those advices, to be honest, I mean... It's like you have to change your entire system of eating. And I don't think it works for a lot of us. Because many of us are used to certain types of foods. And for us to get a whole new cuisine in Ramadan and to learn to do that, that's going to be a challenge on its own. And if you don't enjoy it, then you're going to feel hungry. So it's going to be an issue. So I think what the trick is that we should actually start introducing this adjustment from before in our lives. If you try to do it just in Ramadan, you're going to be trying out, trialing new foods. And some of that stuff is not going to taste good for you. Or it's going to, you're not sure how you're going to react to it. So it's a good idea to start doing this from before to introduce these kind of healthy lifestyle changes. For example, a simple thing is remove white bread from your diet. That's the simplest thing you can do. What you have to remember is that even the scholars of the past, of the early generations after the Prophet ﷺ were discussing that one of the first innovations in Islam not, not like a proper bid'ah, but one of the innovations of the, the, the style of the Prophet ﷺ in his time, right? Is that then they used to just eat the flour with, just, just by giving it a little blow. So any of the really, uh, uh, what do you call it, roughage on top that wasn't supposed to be there, that would, that would disappear. They wouldn't sift it. Which meant they kept most of the, the husk or whatever it was and they used to just eat that. 
said that the first innovation in Islam was to actually start sifting, uh, in, uh, sifting the flour so that you get more refined flour. It's not haram to do that, by the way. It's just that you're being more refined in the way you do it, and that, wasn't, that shouldn't be your focus. Although we're all very refined in our eating, you know, today. But today, white bread is not just sifted, it's actually bleached. Have you see, ever seen wheat that is white? I mean, have you ever seen wheat? Wheat grains? We've probably never seen them. The only we see is white bread. We just see the, the final... Even when people make roti, they get like the proper white atta, as they call it. The bleached stuff. I mean, have you heard that they say, don't, eat, don't have white sugar, have brown sugar. If you are going to have sugar, then at least have brown sugar. Because the white one is bleached again. Right? To make it look nice. White things seem to be more appealing. That's just in the psyche of people. See, that's something you have to... Of course, then you can get really particular and get the one with the proper fiber and everything in it. Then they talk about porridge. I mean, most of these online, what I've noticed, they talk about eating porridge in Ramadan because that's supposed to be uh, complex carb and it's supposed to last a long time. My experience with porridge has been quite negative, to be honest. I don't know, how, do you guys have porridge in the morning? You actually feel hungrier quicker. Right? Has anybody experienced that? But pure porridge. You know why? Generally the porridge we get, the ready ones, you know the ones that you make in two minutes in the microwave, they've been again processed and broken down to such a degree that they go through the system very quickly. So that is not very helpful. You're going to feel hungry, man, when you wake up. You have to get the proper whole grain, non-processed, uh, porridge that will help you that it takes that's why I don't know if you guys are used to this that broth we make that kichara they call it that's actually mixed grain that's supposed to be good but the main thing is cut down on too much sugar at suhoor time instead at iftar time this is what we do we have a lot of fruit because Ramadan is a time that mashallah it's in July there's a lot of fruit going around so have lots of fruit cut out the samosa you know do it every few days maybe all the pakore, samose, all that kind of stuff. Just cut that out as much as possible. Because that oily stuff is not useful, it's not, help, it's not helpful. But if you have it once in a while, it's different. Do a lot of fruits. Get, you know, spend money on your fruits, whatever you like. Whether that be expensive, blueberries, strawberries, whatever it is. Eat well. Buy, pay more if you have to, but eat less of good things. Rice is a no-no, unless you get wild rice or something in suhoor time. Because that's a carb that's just going to give you a spike and then you're going to drop again. So anyway, I'm not here an expert or anything. This is just some suggestions that we speak about here uh, as just something for you to take home to think about. Also, what I would suggest for our sisters, who I'm assuming will do most of the cooking, right? that one of the more difficult things is to decide what to cook each day. For sisters, sometimes that is more difficult than the actual cooking itself. Because sometimes like, what should I cook? If you, especially if you want to cook something well. So you are wondering, what should I cook? What my wife does is that she just has, she makes a, a 30-day um, menu from before Ramadan. Right? You know, wh- whatever it's going to be, maybe taking into consideration weekends and weekdays because, you know, school, no school and so on. And then just follow the timetable. And sometimes if you have to adjust then that's fine. You just swap it over with something if you have to do that. But it helps a lot. These are just practical tips that will just take some of the management of, Ram, uh, of these mundane things out of Ramadan. Another thing which uh, 
the men may complain about but what uh, but, but may be beneficial for the sisters is that some of our scholars and great people of the past like Sheikh Zakaria what they used to do in their t- in his time is he used to only have the women of the house make one curry or something one or two curry whatever it may be the rotis the bread he would have them purchased and also um, any fried food they needed he would have it purchased so that the women don't have to cook as much during Ramadan right sorry man if that's if I'm spoiling your uh, your women folk here but they need to pray as well Dawats in Ramadan are really sad because the women have to then cook all day for that Dawats now you're saying that buy rotis from outside right what about the roti makers? What are they going to do? Their business is going to boom in Ramadan. Right? Everybody's business booms in Ramadan. Have you noticed? Most Muslim businesses, they boom in Ramadan. Right? The clothing shops and everything. Then it's up to you, to be honest, whether you want that boom and this boom or just that boom and not this boom. You know, whether you want to sacrifice your extra worship because mashallah, you're going to make a lot more money. Or whether you're going to be very savvy about it and say, I want to get the best of both worlds. So I'm going to set it up that I've got some workers that will do all of this work for me. I collect the revenue from there as well. And I do my Quran. I'll sit there and watch everything, but I'll be reading Quran. You can get savvy with these things. It just depends on how you plan these things. That's why I personally feel that Ramadan, you get the best out of it if you plan it from before. You plan it from before and you want to take it a notch higher every year. You don't want to do that same Ramadan. Because if you want to gain the taqwa that we've been discussing, and you want to be reading Quran, then you're going to have to set goals. So the second point that I want to make now is setting goals for ourselves. Everybody knows what they're going to be doing in Ramadan. So if you are a, if you are a professional uh, working in a particular industry, you know that you're going to have to be working this way. You can't take off. You know, you, you, you know. If you're a student, you're going to know that this is how much I'm going to be studying. You're a housewife, you're going to know this is kind of the workload that I have. Right? Whatever you're doing, you're a teacher, whatever you're doing. We know, I mean, I'm assuming that this is no... The, uh, the, is there anybody here who's, Ramadan, who's... This Ramadan is going to be their first Ramadan? Or everybody's done Ramadan before, right? So, I mean... The discussion now should not be what we should do in Ramadan. It should be how do we take a notch higher. Because if all of us have been doing Ramadan for as long as we can remember at least, then there's no need for us to have that discussion of how to do Ramadan. Our discussion of what's relevant to me, to you, to each individual person is going to be about how can I take my Ramadan that I've been doing and give it an upgrade this year. Because the Ramadans of the past, I mean, maybe they were on beta version. What version were they on? Our Ramadan package that we would do, the Quran we would read. And, you know, was it on a beta package or was it 1.2 or what was it on? I mean, everybody should have their own gauge about this. Where do I want to take it? Because it looks like when you listen to the stories of the pious, their Ramadan was like version 10.0 or something. Like Windows 10. We're still on Windows 3.1. We're still running the old system. Right, the same old little bit that we do and we think we've done a lot. So how can I upgrade my Ramadan this year and get a massive upgrade this year? That's what I think we should be f- uh, focusing on as opposed to how do I spend Ramadan because we all know how to spend Ramadan. 
So the way you do that is if you set reasonable, manageable goals, that really works. So for example, <clears throat> you could do this for people in your family. That, okay, we will decide that we're going to do this much Qur'an a day. That's going to be manageable for all of us. So let's just say that I think every year I've just about been able to do one Qur'an in the whole month. So I read one juz, one supara a day. So this year I'm actually going to do one and a half a day. Because maybe you read very slow, you're not a half of the Qur'an, you read very slow, so it is difficult for you. Right? It's a struggle for you to read the one juz. This year, I want to do one and a half. So we make that our family goal, that everybody's going to do one and a half a day. Then, in addition to that, we're going to do, every day we're going to do two or four akats of tahajjud. We're going to get up for suhoor, sehri. We're either going to do tahajjud first, or we're going to finish eating about 10 minutes before the end time. And then we're going to all do two or four akats of tahajjud, and then we're going to do five minutes of du'a. That's another goal we're going to have. Dua and tahajjud. Right? Now, obviously, if you've got a goal, you've set yourself up like that. Not that it's my dream to do tahajjud and then like I didn't do it the first night, I'll do it tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow, and then you'll only do it under 27 nights. Right? When everybody does it. I would, I would think so. Right? So, have these goals, right? What else is a goal? Let, let, let's get... Uh, uh, how many istighfar should we do a day? What would be like a, you know, for a working person, how many istighfar do you think they can do a day along with one and a half Jews of the Quran? Maybe 500? 500 istighfar, astaghfirullah, Allah, uh, I ask Allah for His forgiveness, 500 times? It's not difficult, I mean, remember you can use every moment because every moment of Ramadan is going to be full of blessing. So when you're going to work, whether you're going on a bus or whether you're driving, when you're coming back, Lunch breaks are very valuable these days because you don't eat lunch, but you still get a break. So I'm going to do this much istighfar. I want to get my qada prayers out of the way. So at ishraq time, which is uh, generally the time after sunrise or when you wake up, duha time, I'm going to do four akats of qada prayer at that time. You know, my makeup prayers, the ones I've missed before, I want to make them up. So instead of doing nafil prayers, you should do your qada prayers. So in Ishraq time, you should do Qadha prayers. In fact, even in Tahajjud time, if you can do Qadha prayers instead, you should inshallah get the reward for, a qadha, uh, for, your, for your Tahajjud as well. Inshallah. You do your Qadha prayer at that time. Any prayers you missed. So inshallah, if you set those kind of goals, and then in the last 10 days, I can't do maybe Ihtikaf all 10 days, so I'm going to do at least two nights or one night in the masjid, in the weekends for example. Just be creative and think what you can do. I want to also donate this much. I want our family to collect this much money and donate it to someone. They say that one of the, one of the signs of the acceptance of your fasting is that you are moved to donate. Because you actually start feeling the, the benefits of fasting. Of staying hungry and then thinking about others as well and to donate for them because it's a rewarding act. So come up, I'm sure, you know, these are just a few ideas I'm throwing out there. I'm sure that your minds, you know, will come up with many, many ideas if you sit as a family and do this. Make it a family effort. The children will get involved as well, right? The children can keep fast at least in the weekends, right? To, uh, to at least start off Saturday and Sunday, if they can. 
So that was all about um, so working professionals. The way they need to deal with this is primarily to try to fit in to their daytime, to plan it in a plan it ahead. I'm gonna have to go to work for this long. I'm gonna have to do, but these are the breaks that I get. In this break, I'm gonna do istighfar. In this longer lunch break, I'm gonna get this much Quran read. When I'm traveling back home, um, if you're used to those headphones in your ears, which I find extremely uh, antisocial, right? It's just everybody's walking with with headphones on. It's like, what kind of world are you living in? You're among people, right? And you're listening to something else, like some faraway place. It's just. Like, what kind of a person are you? It's understandable if you're alone at home and you've got nobody to keep you company, then you listen to something. But when you're among people and you're still... For professionals, I think that's the idea. Get, keep manageable goals and inshallah we will succeed. I'm going to move to the fiqh quickly because then I want to leave time for question and answers. Can you smoke in Ramadan? You can smoke in Ramadan if, you're, if you can't help smoking, but you can't smoke while you're fasting. A lot of people, poor guys, I really feel sorry for them because at iftar time, they just want that cigarette. That's the first thing they want. Or that coffee. Right? So yes, yeah, smoking breaks the fast because you're taking smoke down. So to explain that quite simply, if there's smoke somewhere and it goes into your nose or your mouth and it goes down your throat without you wanting to do that, not purposely, then it won't break your fast. But otherwise, smoking smoke breaks the fast. So if you inhale bakhur, you know when you, uh, incense for example, that will break your fast because there is a perceptible body that is going down your throat or your nose and is going into the stomach. So now let me ask you a question. If you put, if you get Vicks, and you put it by your nose and then you smell the Vicks, the, the, the vapors of it. Will that break your fast or not? Do you think that will break your fast? Hmm? No, that won't break your fast. Because there's nothing perceptible going up. There's no body going up. This is just a, just a smell. So you can smell perfume in Ramadan. But you can't have incense. Because incense has a physical body. Incense has a physical body. So that's why incense you can't. So anything with a body. So for example, if you get take Vicks and you put it into steam and then you start taking that in, that will break your fast. Because there you've got the steam is carrying the, the, the Vicks particles and it's taking them inside. That will break your fast. But just smelling Vicks Without any particles coming out, that's fine. So, same thing, bakhur, right? You know when you put bakhur on? Try not to be there when the smoke is going around. Because if you take that smoke in on purpose, it will break your fast. But if you're not doing that on purpose, and you just went past by a bakhur shop, like on Green Street, if you went past by that Haram Main shop, do they have bakhur outside on? I think some places do. And you just happen to smell it, that's fine. Or if the bakhur has been done, the smoke's gone and then the smell remains, that's fine. So perceptible body is the problem. That takes us on to the asthma pump. Right? Now the asthma pump, according to the research that has been done by many people, some people basically they say that asthma pump shouldn't break the fast because it goes to your lungs and not to your stomach. 
and it's things that go to your stomach that break the fast, not those that go to the lung. Now while that's true that if it goes to your lung, it won't break the fast, but if it goes to your stomach, it will break the fast. This claim that asthma pump only reaches your lungs, that's not accurate. Right? While a lot of it does go to your lung because that's where it benefits you because it expands your lungs for you, part of the medicine is a percentage that actually goes down to your stomach. Now, has there, who's tried an asthma pump here? Right. You know when you take the asthma pump, don't you feel it at the back of your throat? So what's happening there is the aerosol in there, the spray, the aerosol, is carrying the salbutamol, the active ingredient. It's just used as a carrier to force it down your throat. So once it starts going down into your mouth, the medicine part of it, which you can feel, it's getting stuck at the back of your throat, and that's going into your stomach. So asthma pump will break your fast. Having said that though, if you are suffering and you're wheezing, you've got a short of breath, then you need to take an asthma pump because that can become quite critical. Right? It can really uh, become life-threatening in some cases as well. So you know yourself. I mean, asthma isn't something that you just get in Ramadan. If you got asthma, you got asthma. If you don't, you don't. But basically, if you have asthma... Then and you need to take the medicine because you know that you're not going to be able to survive this, then take it, your fasting will break. You just have to do a qada afterwards. You don't have to do kafara. So qada means you just have to make one up for any fast you break. And kafara means that you have to do 60 consecutive fasts as a penalty for breaking a fast on purpose. That you generally that only ha- happens if you eat or drink something that is food or medicine, right? Purposely in Ramadan Then you break that fast So if somebody is at school whatever And he just felt like having some chips And he did right, Having some coffee or having a Red Bull or something Just like I can't do this at a Red Bull They will break their fast And they will have to do a, qada, a kafara as well 60 consecutive days of fasting Or if people take uh, If sexual intercourse Proper sexual intercourse takes place that will also, penetration takes place. Basically, that will also break the fast and make kafara necessary. Of course, if you eat, uh, forgetting your fasting. So there was food there, you know, you went somewhere and there was food there and you just don't know, or you got a coffee machine somewhere and at work and just like every day you go and get a coffee and you did that and then you realized afterwards if, you got, if you've got, uh, that, that you're fasting, after you've drank the coffee, then that won't break the fast. So remember, that's not by accident, is it? That's by forgetfulness. By accident means that I'm washing my mouth and I'm supposed to be careful when I wash my mouth. I should actually try to face down so that no water accidentally goes down the throat. But then some water did go down my throat. That's accident. That's not forgetfulness. I knew I was fasting. But water slipped down my throat. That will break the fast. Kafara won't be necessary, but it will break my fast. I'll have to at least make one up. But if I eat out of forgetfulness that I, I don't remember I'm fasting. So I'm going to ask you a question. If you see somebody eating in Ramadan, you know they're supposed to be fasting. And you know they do fast. There's not some guy who's not fasting. Meaning who doesn't want to fast. He's fasting, but you see him eating. Should you tell him or not? They say that it depends. If he's a, an older person who you think better for him to eat, like an older person who's quite weak or something, then let them eat. But if it's anybody else, you should remind them. Nicely, obviously, you should remind them. 
because uh, you might think that we live in an individual world where it's up to them I do my stuff they do their stuff but in Islam there's an aspect of mutual help and assistance Amr bil ma'roof and nahiyan munkar this comes under there we're trying to help each other do the best so this is actually a virtuous thing to remind somebody cooking when women are cooking try to keep the fan on because it goes back to that case we talked about earlier where perceptible something so if you're cooking and you then take a purposeful nice smell of that whatever you're cooking that could break your fast because that's the steam that you're taking in you know when you open the pot and then all the steam comes out that would that could break your fast but if it happened accidentally and you didn't you're not intending to do that then then it doesn't matter otherwise we'd have no food well, you could just cook in the oven instead, innit? You don't have to cook any, anything on the stove with any steam. But that's not the case. Just avoid it. Patches don't break the fast. If, you put a, if you're using a patch for nicotine or for a contraceptive patch or something, that won't break the fast. Though there is some benefit taking place that your body is receiving, but because nothing is going down the throat into your stomach, so that won't break the fast. Uh, breaking fast due to illness so if you've got a light headache or you've got a bit of a cold and it'd be nice if you could actually have an antihistamine or something right that won't justify breaking your fast but if you're getting a splitting headache and you just can't do anything and you fear that it's just going to get worse and it's quite critical then in that case you're allowed to break the fast if you break a fast in that case, you only have to do qada, no kafara. Somebody just has a light headache, they can manage to have them all the time, but decides that I'm going to break my fast because of this, then you'd have to do a kafara as well in that case. So illnesses that allow you to break the fast and only make a qada necessary are those which that are so severe that they generally are going to spoil your entire daily routine. Like such a splitting headache that you can't concentrate at all. That allows you to do that, uh, to break the fast. Um, traveling. Traveling cases. If you, uh, you know in the time you start the fasting, if you are a traveler then already, like if you traveled before the fasting day began, then you don't have to keep a fast on that day. So if, I, if my flight is at... Um, to be honest, I don't think that's even possible nowadays because no flight leave. Uh, there's a flights don't come and go after twelve o'clock in England, and before five o'clock in the morning, right? Because people complain, so there's no flights out. But in other countries, it happens all the time, right? So here, the, there's no way you could do this unless you flew at eleven fifty-five. So you are flying eleven fifty-five at night. Your fasting was going to be, begin at one o'clock or two o'clock or three o'clock or whenever it is. Then in that case, you'd be fasting. Uh, sorry, you would be. Fasting already before your journey No, your journey has begun before you started fasting So in that case you don't have to fast But when you are, fa- when you are traveling It's better to fast if you, if you can fast And it's not going to spoil your fasting it, it, You don't only travel by flight If you drive up You're traveling here to Leicester Technically you don't have to fast Because you are traveling But you're going to miss out a huge amount of reward So when you're traveling It People, some people think if you're traveling, you can't fast and it's better not to fast, they think. But that's wrong. It's actually better to fast. 
unless you won't be able to handle it. Now the thing is that if you did travel, if you're going to travel after you start the fast, then you must keep a fast that day. But if you were to then break the fast for whatever reason, you'd have to do a qadha but not a kafara. That's the only difference in that case. Can you pay your way out of fasting? If you're a rich guy, even if you're not a rich guy, I mean, it, it costs about maybe three, four pounds per fast to pay it off. So 30 days times four, how much is that? 120 pounds. 120 pounds, you don't have to fast. That's a good deal, isn't it? But that only works for people who are unable to fast. There's actually this idea out there that if I can't fast in Ramadan, but I can fast later on in the year, they think they can just pay it off. And you're not allowed to do that. The only time you can pay off fasting is if you can never fast again. <coughs> if you're never going to be able to fast again. Only that person can then pay off. If you paid off thinking you won't be able to fast, then you became better, mashallah, you'd actually have to fast them off. So you can fast them in the smaller days of the year if you want to. Now that t- tells us about pregnant women and um, breastfeeding women. Pregnant women, breastfeeding women have an excuse. But they should fast. If they find that they can't fast because they've got a condition, uh, it's a complicated pregnancy. For example, they've got pregnancy-induced diabetes where there's sugars all over the place. And they could suffer a hypo, right? Um, or, for example, they've got some other morning sickness where they're just going to be out. right? So in that case, they're allowed not to fast if they've got a severe condition. Normal case. Or unless they've been told that your baby's got some abnormal issue and you need to eat this, that and the other. And that doctor that's told you that understands the significance of fasting... Because most doctors, they're going to try to cover their back. They're going to try to give you the most cautious opinion from the other way, the other perspective. That's what doctors do. They're going to save their back, right? Because they have to make sure that you don't then do a case against them. So they're going to tell you to do whatever's most conducive for that side. That's why they generally say that you have to ask a God-fearing Muslim doctor. Because they understand that fasting is important. Then they will balance this out and say, okay, no, this is serious enough. Right, that this warrants you not to give a fast today. So, where in doubt, always ask to get the fatwa. Otherwise, you must fast. Um, again, when it comes to the whole breastfeeding issue, there are certain types of foods that again help to create milk, even on a normal day, that are suggested to breastfeeding women. Um, these are not things that you're going to find in a pharmacy, by the way. These are things you're going to find by these villages that, that will tell you about this particular type of flower. Um, I think one is horse chestnut flower. That's supposed to be really good for this. Right? I'm not an expert on these things, but I'm sure uh, if you check online, there's going to be suggestions for that. Right, brushing the teeth miswak. Miswak is completely fine as long as it's not the flavored miswak. Because the flavored miswaks are not they don't come off the tree like that. You know, there's no lemon tree miswak, as far as I know, or mint tree miswak. Those are things that you get the miswak and you dip it into a lemon mixture or something, and then it's a flavored miswak. So it just makes it sound flavored. 
that is going to be the same as toothpaste. Which means that if you use your toothpaste or whatever, it's makru to do so because you are basically maybe uh, putting yourself up to break your fast because it may go down your throat. If any of that goes down your throat, your fast will break. But if it doesn't go down the throat and you're able to spit it out, rinse your mouth and so on, completely clean it up, then it's still makru because you're adding a... If it's, just the, if it's just the cleaning aspect, is fine. But the fact is that you're freshening your mouth, which you're not supposed to do. Uh, that's not uh, part of the whole aspect of fasting by <coughs> introducing a foreign substance like mint or something like that. Which means if you took a dry broth and brushed your teeth all day, it's fine. Or a miswak, a natural miswak. When you're doing the miswak, one of the fibers, if they get left in your mouth, I mean, you're supposed to try to rinse your mouth out as much as possible, right? And get rid of it. If you swallow it while you're doing the whole process, that will break your fast. Because that's just like, it has to go down with some water, generally speaking. Right? Even if it goes down with your saliva, it'll break it, right? While you're fasting. But if something had gotten stuck in your mouth, like some food as well, in a cavity, and it's a very small amount, and then later on that went down your throat, it became dislodged, and it just went down your throat, then that won't break the fast. Because that's kind of un avoidable sometimes do eye drops break the fast eye drops don't break the fast right eye drops do not break the fast what about ear drops generally only if you've got perforated ear drums where there's a where it's a condition then it will go down but if you've got normal ears and you have to put ear drops for some other reason they won't go down the throat Though the original Fukaha said they, it does, but you know the recent research shows that there's no passage from the ears down to the throat and stomach unless you've got perforated eardrums. So that, that's why uh, it, it, it won't break your fast. But if you're in doubt, then avoid it if you think you've got perforated eardrop, uh, ear canals or not. Okay, contact lenses. Will that break your fast? Why should it? I mean... It's not nothing's going down the throat. Dentist appointments, right? These are the difficult ones. So, what I generally suggest to people is try to keep your dent if you have to have one. Try to keep it early morning as possible, and don't intend to fast that day. Meaning, sorry, don't make an intention for fasting yet. Don't eat anything though. Right? Don't eat anything, but don't intend to fast. And then go and have your dentist appointment. And if nothing goes down the throat, then make an intention to fast. And your intention, as long as your intention, remember in fasting, your intention has to be done by half the day. But what we mean by half the day here is not sunrise to sunset. We mean from fajr to sunset. So it's earlier. So what, when, is Fajr, when does Fajr time begin right now? According to whichever time, give me, just give me one... 3.30. 3.30. What time is sunset? Huh? Eight, just say 8.30 just to make it easy. 3.30 to 8.30, how many hours have you got there? Hmm? 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. That's 9 plus 8 is... So we got 17 hours. Drop that in half. How would you get? 17 divided by 2, my brother. 8 and half. So now, when is 8 and half hours from 
12. Oh, it's 12, yeah. It's 12. So 12 o'clock. So if you have your appointment in the morning at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, and you come out of there, it's before 12 o'clock, and nothing's gone down your throat, make an intention. So your whole fast will be done. You just won't be rewarded for the first part of it, but you'll be rewarded for the second part. But your fast will be done. If something did go down the throat, well, then you're not fasting that day. So you didn't break your fast either then. Do you see what I'm saying? Um, I think I'll stop my part there. I'll take your questions now, inshallah. How is it best to control use of social media, smartphone, does scented candle... Okay. Social media and smartphone, again, you know, the discussion we had earlier where you plan, right, and set reasonable goals. So I should have mentioned it there. One of our reasonable goals is, a lot of people do, is no TV. But now, while pe- people may not put the TV on, the big screen on, the small screens are constantly on and they're unavoidable. Right? So what I would suggest for that is, firstly, block all of your notifications. So you don't get any notification except straightforward text message from people who really matter to you or who you matter to. Right? Because then they'll pay the money to or they'll, they'll text you instead of just WhatsApp beep, beep, beep all the time. So if you can pull yourself off WhatsApp and off all of the others just for a hiatus of one month, that would be the best. If you can't, then regulate yourself that if it's important. I mean, if it's mundane, waste of time, then, then, then just pull yourself up. But if that's how you communicate for your business or your work or some other management, then just have times where you look at that. So don't keep your data or Wi-Fi on all day. Just put it on when you need it and go and check what you have to. Again, it's your management. I'm only going to look at it this time. I'm going to keep it away this time. I'm, I'm going to put the phone elsewhere or whatever the case is. Because if you have your Quran, if you're reading Quran, you have your phone on, then your Quran reading is going to become very disturbed. Right? It's just, they're very addictive things. And I don't want to take too much time on this. We've got a topic on there on ZamzamAcademy.com that you can listen to about social media in general, right? That you can go and listen to. Do the scented candles break the fast? Scented candles, if you're just smelling the scent after the, the smoke has gone of it, then it's fine. Right? If you actually, I mean, scented candles, they're, they're not going to produce that much smoke, to be honest. They produce more of an odor. The odor is fine. But if you take any perceptible something from there, that will break the fast, which is hard, highly unlikely, I'm assuming, unless you go very close. So scented candles would be fine. What if we begin our fast um, before journey... Uh, and our journey is 12 hours by flight Do we maintain the fast? To be honest, I mean If I'm going east Then you're better off fasting Because you're going to get a very short fast Right? So it'd be a no-brainer to be honest And if you're going west Then your fast I mean, I've done a fast I think I can't remember the number of hours Was it 26 hours or something I did a fast for once Because I went to Canada Left about 11 or 12 o'clock uh, 12 No, I left about 2 o'clock Got there about 3 o'clock in the afternoon I left from here at 2 o'clock p.m. I got there 3 o'clock p.m. Canada time. And then the iftar was about 8.30. So that added on about, I don't know, f- five, six hours extra. So I thought it was going to be tough. It was a bit tough, but it was okay. So it just depends. I could break my fast in that case. But if you're going east, then you should rather keep a fast because you're going to be finished very quickly. I am a doctor. I has a... Uh, a channel that connects fluid of eye into the throat through the nose. That's true. Because I know the classical fuqaha used to say that it does not break the fast even though you're tasting it. Right? So it's a good point. The reason is this. 
that for this get I didn't want to bring the technicality here because I didn't want to confuse but since it's a doctor asking asking I need to answer this question what it is is that what actually breaks the fast technically speaking is for something to reach the stomach by way of a passage of consequence and passage of consequence is considered to be the throat what else the nose the throat, the nose, and the rectal, and the rectal passage. If anything else reaches the stomach, which is a cavity of consequence, but not through a passage of consequence, these three, it won't break the fast, technically speaking. So because if it goes down the nose or mouth, throat meaning, that's normal passages that lead to the stomach that will break the fast. But if it goes through any other passage, for example, when you take an injection or an intramuscular intravenous injection or some other way or a drip, that will not break the fast. Even if some of that ends up getting into the stomach or whatever, that won't make a difference because it's not going through those normal passages. That's why if somebody has an enema or a rectal suppository or whatever you call them, that will break the fast. Because that's considered that a possibility part of that could get into the, the lower part of the intestine or the rectal area. Right, so it's anything that gets into the gastro, what's it called? The gastrointestinal tract, right? And I'm only bringing these words up because uh, to explain to those who are aware of these terms, the gastrointestinal tract, for uh, from my understanding, it includes the intestines and it includes the stomach itself. So anything that can get into there, whether rectally or through the nose and mouth, will break the fast. So through the eyes, it will not break the fast. So thanks for that uh, question. Shall I feel bad for not praying all 20 rakats of Tarawih if it isn't fard? Um, eight rakat mosque or I'm getting tired, I'm just tired. Uh, you should feel bad because you're cheating. Uh, but in once a while, if, you, if you're really tired that day and you miss your Tarawih, then that, is, that could be excusable. But if you make it a habit every day, just go and find a shorter place for Tarawih that, does, that don't do the whole Qur'an, for example, if you really can't do it because you, your work schedule or whatever is tough. Uh, because we do have very short nights, to be honest. Right? And it is difficult for some people. But we have so many Tarawih options around us now. Some shorter, some longer. So try some that read well, but read less maybe. And uh, do that. And if one day, you know, uh, of the week you just can't do it because you just can't do it, you can't even sit and do it. Then, then, go, uh, that, then if you miss it, then you will not be. Uh, you can be excused for that because it's not a fard prayer, right, in that sense. If you have asthma, can you still fast? It depends on your asthma. If it's something that you know you're, you're going to end up breaking it. You have to take it every two hours. You've got very severe asthma problems. Then you may have to fast in lower, you know, smaller times of the year where it may be more manageable because you've got a severe condition. While fasting, how can you spend your time wisely? I can't tell you that because the way my schedule is different to yours, right? But I kind of gave you the idea. Unless you want some personal advice, which means that you come to a scholar and say, look, this is my daily schedule. Can you help me? Make a routine for myself. 
But uh, otherwise, as I mentioned earlier, that you just try to brainstorm the best possible thing. Your goal should be that, how can I do more than last year? That should be your goal, by the way. How can I do more than last year? And then try to fit in all of these things that I mentioned, the istighfar, the qada prayers, the ishraq prayers, the, the istighfar, the Quran, the sadaqah. Just try to fit it in different times. While fasting, can you take an injection? Yes, you can. Uh, whether it's through the muscles or through the veins. Um, can you swim while fasting? I know you have uh, waterproof caps, right, that don't let water go into your hair. But I don't know how you would avoid getting it into your mouth, unless you're a very good swimmer and, you know. Can anybody swim without any water going down? Anybody done it? I know it's so tough, isn't it? Because accidentally something's going to go down. Unless you're very... I mean, I'm not a professional, so I can't tell you. Because when I swim, I mean, I'm probably going to take some water in whether I like it or not. Well, if you're just doing a back float, then maybe not, right? Dead man's back float or something, then it's probably okay, right? I mean, you can dip yourself into water, you can have a shower, that's fine. But I would avoid swimming because uh, placing yourself to break the fast is also makruh anyway. And if anything does go down the throat or nose... Because how are you going to clip... Okay, I've seen clips of the nose. But how are you going to clip your mouth as well? You need to breathe. Uh, Will your fast break if you accidentally drink or eat? Again, accidentally, yes. Why were you... How can you accidentally eat in Ramadan? You You can eat by forgetfulness. That won't break the fast. If you forget your fasting. But if you were... I don't know. The only way you can accidentally eat is if you had something by your mouth and you ate it. By the way, insulin injections don't break the fast. I have read somewhere that to know that your Ramadan was accepted, any positive change in your life after Ramadan is an indication as an accept. Is this true? I would say so, definitely. Because Ramadan, as I said, is supposed to be that stepping stone. So if our Iman level is at two before we start Ramadan, and after Ramadan it goes back to two, then what have we benefited from Ramadan? We should at least be at three or two and a half. That's the whole point of it, isn't it? Um, what kind of changes can you list a few, please? Um, let me get your help here. What, how do you think you can change? I mean, number one, there's certain sins that you know we were doing beforehand that we avoided. We've now made become punctual in our worship. That's a big. That's a big benefit. Uh, we now actually start fasting maybe Mondays, Thursdays, three days of each month. That's a good change. We've stopped doing certain haram things that we were doing before. Well, I mean, the non-active benefits will be that you, if you've followed the path properly and you haven't overeaten, you should lose some weight. And uh, th- th- there's this whole discussion and a survey that's done on what happens on the first 10 days and the second 10 days, like the inside, what's happening in your body physiologically, how y- your body is becoming detoxified. It's quite interesting. It's just we don't have time for that right now. But if I can find that article, I mean, you guys have all registered. Uh, we'll try to send it out. On, on the Zamzam mailing list, right? We'll try to put it up. There's a really wonderful article that, that was about two years ago. Does anybody have it? Does anybody have access to it quickly if, if they do? It tells exactly the medically what's going on in your body. So the first 10 days, this is what happens, second 10 days and the third 10 days. That's why initially you feel certain ways and then eventually you get, you get accustomed to it. So in terms of the spiritual benefits... They are huge. 
the amount of reward you will attain in Ramadan for every deed you do, I mean a fard is increased 70 times. So all your fard prayers you do in Ramadan or any other fard worship, zakat, whatever, you get 70 times the amount. It's not even like a buy one, get one free. It's buy one, get 70 free, which is unheard of anywhere. Even clearance places don't give you that. right? That's just a huge amount. When Allah says 70, when the Prophet said 70, that means abundance. Right? That's without count. Then the Prophet said that Allah says that fasting is for me. Because you know if you fast, you can only fast for Allah. If you want to show off to say I'm fasting, don't fast. Just don't eat in front of people. Tell him all day long I'm fasting every day. But go and eat in private. So if you are going to stay hungry for Allah, then that means you're doing it for Allah. Allah directly rewards you. The angels don't even come in between in this one. When Allah rewards somebody directly, then He splashes it out. You know, He drowns us in reward. And then every moment, because there's a hadith which says that if you miss one fast of Ramadan, if you miss one fast of Ramadan with no excuse, and then you try to keep up fast for the entire year to try to make up for that, you won't be able to. Yeah, as a qada you will, but the reward you would have lost, the benefits, the blessings, you won't be able to. So Ramadan is, subhanAllah, the amount of benefit in Ramadan is concentrated. Concentrated. So you should get closer to Allah, but the problem is that you know when the day of Eid comes and Ramadan finishes, you know that shaitan who was deactivated for 30 days, he just becomes activated. You know, it's like those uh, in this new world of uh, Marvel superheroes. This shaitan is becoming activated again. And he's going to come and spoil your entire month. That's why there's people who've said that on the day of Eid, I was so good for the whole month. On the day of Eid, I went and did what I wasn't supposed to. And then you get demoralized. That's why you should keep the six fast after shawal. Because the benefit of that is straight after day you're still fasting. So you still feel like you're in Ramadan though the shaitan is out. And inshallah, if you preserve that, you'll be fine. Inshallah. If your wife does not want, to do, want you to do itikaf in the masjid, what should you do? That's a good question. You need to really speak it over. You need to maybe give a deal. That, okay, let me do itikaf and I'll take you on holiday. Right? Or... Um, I'll do etikaf with you for 10 days afterwards in the house right I won't go anywhere I won't go with my friends I'll just stay with you right or I'll get you you know I don't know make a deal man what else are you going to do I mean how am I going to answer that question right you have to deal with that relationship I'm not, I'm not being very helpful am I I mean I gave you some suggestions what would I do well I would really plead and you know all the rest of it and um I'll say, okay, I'll only do it every two years or something. Everybody's got a different relationship. I would say you just make lots of dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you just make a strike a deal. That's what I would think. Uh, show her the fadila. Say, I'm going to make dua for you. Like every time I'm sitting in that mosque in tahajjud, can you believe the amount of duas I'm going to make for us and our future and our children? That... I can't do at home as much because I'm in the masjid and Allah loves people in itikaf. Show her those fadail. Because sometimes people just don't know why you just like, you just want to skirt all the responsibilities maybe, you just want to go off or whatever, I'm going to feel alone. So if it is about feeling alone, then cater for that and say, okay, you know, 
call your sister over, call your mother over, you go and stay with your mother or something like that. There has to be some practical reason why they're saying no. Or is it just they, they love you so much? Well, if they love you so much, then they should allow you to go. Right? Or is it that they're going to feel alone? Then try to bring them somebody. So it, it, get to the bottom of why. And then try to find a solution for that. And once you found out why, then let me know. Then I can try to help them, inshallah, more. But I think I've given sufficient ideas. Is, what is important? Read the Quran in a parrot fashion or read the Quran with understanding? I think the, uh, the, uh, what is important is to read the Quran with understanding and to read the Quran correctly. I don't know how to read Quran in a parrot fashion, so I can't answer that question. How do you read Quran in a parrot fashion? What does that even mean? Okay, good question. So, oh yeah, many of us don't understand Arabic. This is what I suggest. You see, Ramadan has a special relationship with the Quran. And there's an ex- expanded reward for every letter you read. So there is a benefit of reading a lot of Quran. But then there's a more important benefit of understanding the Quran. So I, my general suggestion to people is 50% of your Quran reading time you read. 25% you, you, you reflect, get a translation commentary. And 25% you memorize. You memorize. So every Ramadan, you must memorize something extra. The benefit of memorizing is that you will then end up knowing something else except قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدٍ by heart. So you can do tahajjud with it. Feel closer to Allah. Then if you can even know the meaning of that, it's even better. And when you're traveling and you don't have a Quran with you, you can read. And then the best thing is in the hereafter, you can actually ascend into a higher paradise because of what you've memorized. But we definitely need to turn intention to understanding. That is a massive deprivation that most of us don't have, unfortunately, that, that uh, experience. Can you make qadha intention during taraweeh in the masjid? Uh, you can't do a qadha prayer behind the imam who's doing sunnah. Uh, taraweeh is a sunnah. You can't do qadha behind a sunnah in the Hanafi school. Right? So that wouldn't be valid. And do you get reward for both? Well, you, you can't do that, right? So you, you, you can only do qadha prayer behind a person who's doing the same prayer. Same qadha prayer, in fact. So that won't work here. I have a bad time management. How do I get practical timetable in Ramadan, outside Ramadan? Again, this would depend on your lifestyle and what you're doing. I would suggest that you take whatever you, your essentials of your day are, go to a scholar and sit down and say, look, this is what I've got, what can I slip in? Try to do it yourself first. Right? Get a paper, say, these are the times that are taken in my day. Put it out, draw it out. And then see all the gaps and throw things in the gaps. Try it yourself first and then maybe go and show it to somebody. This is what I've got and then inshallah they'll help you. Because otherwise, there's no way I can, you know, from, I can go beyond what I've explained to give you a unique uh, bespoke solution. I don't know how to read with tajweed, what do I do? So this is something I missed earlier. You should use the Ramadan times. If your tajweed is not good, to look for a local teacher in Ramadan because they'll be more available during that time as well. If you're a man, then in the masjid, try to grab an alim or a scholar or somebody with tajweed Please, I want to read to you just every day after Dhuhr, every day after Asr, every day after Maghrib, whatever. Can you just listen to me for five minutes and correct me? Right? If it's a sister, look for a Tajweed class or try to organize one 
find a teacher, get a few other sisters like yourself together and go and have one if you can't do a one-to-one with somebody. Right? Because unfortunately, tajweed classes aren't available and there's no other way to correct your tajweed except by somebody listening and supervising and correcting you. It's not something you can learn from books. It's not a do-it-yourself unless you're able to help somebody. I mean, maybe you can do it through these tajweed class videos that you can try to copy them. But then you still need to go and show it to somebody of how they read to get it right. But really do use Ramadan for that. Do use Ramadan for that. Are we meant to be anti-social in Ramadan? Do we become hermits? I think I've answered that question, haven't we? You need to cut down on your social, social life. Right? Doesn't mean you become hermits. Keep it to the need. Keep it to the need. Doesn't mean you completely ignore people. You do your needs. You say salam to people. But you just don't... You just don't chill out as much. Right? With people. Do we have to finish the whole Quran in Ramadan? You should try to. Because... The Prophet ﷺ used to complete whatever had been revealed of the Qur'an every year in Ramadan by the end. And the last year, he completed two times. So that's why it's an encouragement to complete. It's an encouragement to complete the entire Qur'an if you can during Ramadan. I am addicted to social media and my mobile phone. How do I get off this? I mean, if I tell you something... I'm not sure if you're going to be able to do it, but to be honest, what I would say is go downgrade to a non-smartphone. So you're only going to receive the most important messages and phone calls. And just just tell everybody, I'll see you next month. I don't see any other way. Just do that. It's going to be tough. But that's medicine. And you're going to be struggling for the first few days. But give your phone to somebody else. Say, don't give it to me until... How should we engage with our phones? Okay. Uh, Same question. It consumes a lot of the time, distracts us. To be honest, what I do is I just try not to be on there as much. But if that's difficult for you, then just downgrade. Understand that... I mean, you, you obviously... I can't tell you the harms. You already understand the harms. You know it's a problem. Right? The only thing now is to take the bitter pill and just get rid of them. That's why one sheikh used to call the, the, the cell phone the hell phone, especially for Ramadan. Right? If a patient with a chronic disease fails to fast, then she is not able to, and then she, is she able to not to keep the fast and give fidya? And can she break her fast if she feels ill? And what about previous years? As I said, if she can't fast at all for the rest of her life, then she can give fidya. But if she can fast the smaller days, then she's going to have to fast those days. If a person has qada prayer, should they prioritize qada salah over taraweeh salah? Salat al-taraweeh in Ramadan is very special. So they should do both. You can't, in Hanafi school, you can't miss sunnah prayers for qada prayers generally. But nafil prayers you can. Or sunnah ghair mu'akkada, you should do qada instead of them. If I knew I will travel tomorrow morning about 180 kilometers... What do I do? Don't fast from the beginning. Or I start fast, but if it gets hard, should I break? Yeah. So technically speaking, if you're going to fast, du- sorry, if you're going to travel during the fast, then you must start the fast because you're not traveling before your fast began. And then if it just gets too tough, then if you break your fast, then you have to do a qada, but no kafara. What's your Ramadan schedule? It might be a motivation. It's not going to be. 
my, my Ramadan is not going to be a motivation for you because I have a different lifestyle and um, basically I'll tell you what I do because that's the time when I really get to read my Quran I get up and uh, after Taraweeh I try to read two Jews right it's very difficult I try to read two Jews before I go to sleep again so we hardly have time between Taraweeh and if, uh, Suhoor so I'll try to read one Jews then or three quarter of a Jews then if I can do it in Tahajjud I'll do that right then do the Fajr, uh, sorry, do the Suhoor, do Fajr, and after Fajr, then I would finish the two Jews. So, I would do two Jews. Those are, because we, what we do at home is we do Taraweeh in 15 days. Me and my son, we do one Jews each of Taraweeh, and we complete 30 Jews in one day with the family. So, what I'm doing is essentially I'm trying to do my two Jews uh, First day, uh, just say the second day, I'm going to do just three and four. I'm going to try to read both of those about five to six times each, which means 10 to 12 Jews in the day, and then Taraweeh, right? So then I'll go to sleep and I'll wake up around nine o'clock or something. I try to wake up early, nine, nine thirty maximum, because the later you are, it just gets messed up, right? And then I will read it, I will learn it now, and I will read two times, then another two times. So how many of Jews have I done so far? Six. Right? And then, if I've got time before Dohar, I'll, I'll do something else. Maybe if I have some work I've got to do, I've catch up. This year, we're going to have a bit of class as well. Right? One and a half hours of uh, class for the Mufti course. Then, when I start, go for Dohar, I start reading. I want to do it two more times by the time I come back. Meaning two Jews again. So on the way I'm reading, I probably get about three, half to three quarter juz done by then. In your nafil prayer, in your sunnah prayers after dhuhr, I'll try to read in there. And then by the time I come back home, I should have finished two juz again. So how many is that now? That's eight. Then I go for asr. Right? Then in the daytime, I, there's other work that I have to finish off or whatever. I do other stuff. And then what I'll do is uh, when I go for asr, when I go for a bayan, on the way I'll start reading. And uh, after the bayan as well. And then I'll finish off again another two Jews by iftar time. So how many is that? That's ten. That's minimum ten. And then in Taraweeh we do the two Jews. So that's twelve Jews. To be honest, I'd like to do more than that, but it gets tough. Right? So that's what I do. That's why I said it's not going to be helpful to you. Because you've got work to do. I, I take off work in Ramadan. I do have my personal work that I need to do, but I, I'm very, I got a very flexible routine. But for those who are like that, then please... Because what they say for Hufad is that if you in Ramadan read every juz at least 10 times to 15 times, you will never forget your Quran for the rest of the year. Although I'm not reading it 10 to 15 times, I'm reading it 5 to 6 times a day or 7 times. Because we, that's because we're doing double the Taraweeh. Oh, sorry, the double the reading. Um, Taraweeh 8 or 20. 20. Uh, Taraweeh should be 20 rakats. It's as simple as that. That is the sunnah. From the time of Umar when he gathered everybody on that because the Prophet did not do Taraweeh in public. So there's various hadith of what he did, right? But Umar made an ijma on that subject. And since then, even in the Haramain, they've done 20 rakats, even though on many other mosques in Saudi, they go with eight. But 20 is the way to go all the way, right? And uh, if you want dalail and proofs for this, then uh, this is something I wrote about 20 years ago in a book called Fikhul Imam. Right? I've actually might even have a few copies uh, uh, there in the office. Uh, uh, it will give you all the dalils and responses to those who say it must be eight 
and go around in, uh, uh, you know, in trying to enforce that. Does essential oil break your fast? External application, no. If you oil your body or your nose even, or you even coat the inner surface of your nose and it doesn't go beyond the bone at the top, it won't break your fast. Okay, that's all the questions done and I think we're just a bit over time. Jazakallah khair. What I'd like to mention in ending is uh, the goal, my primary goal in every Ramadan is that how can I make this Ramadan better than my previous one? That's my simple goal. And I think that should help us all to drive the schedule and our practice and hopefully even, you know, getting rid of our mobile phone habits, inshallah. How can I make this Ramadan better than any Ramadan before it? How can I be closer to Allah than any Ramadan before it? And such a closeness after which I'm not going to be far again. That's what's important. And inshallah, if you make the effort in Ramadan, it will carry on. So there's a guy who told me that there was a sin that he used to commit and he really worked hard in Ramadan and for about seven months he didn't even feel like committing that anymore. Then he started wearing out. Then in the subsequent year he worked even harder in Ramadan and he went for Hajj and everything. And he said for nine months he was able to be sin free. Then when he started getting weak, he managed to pull himself through by saying, I've only got two months left for the next Ramadan. And he managed to pull it the whole Ramadan without committing that sin. So Ramadan is that time that you're going to get that benefit, inshallah. Inshallah. So everybody make dua for everybody else. And uh, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make this Ramadan better than any Ramadan before it for us, inshallah. And to allow us to be closer to Him. So I'll just do a short dua and then we'll finish, inshallah. Allahumma anta as-salam wa minka as-salam tabarakiyat al-jalari wal-ikram subhanallah al-adiyy al-a'la al-wahab Allahumma jazallahu anna muhammadan ma huwa ahluh Oh Allah, we ask that you accept our sitting here this morning. Oh Allah, we ask that you make this a source of blessing for us. And you make this a source of inspiration and practical benefit for us. So that when we embark on the month of Ramadan from next month, that we are prepared to take in the blessings right from the first day. Oh Allah, make our hearts conducive to your love and your dhikr, your your affection and your forgiveness. And turn your attention towards us. And O oh Allah, grant us an experience this month of Ramadan like the way that your close, your close servants and your, your messengers and your sahaba had experienced this month. O oh Allah, accept from us. O oh Allah, accept from us. Actually, there was just one question that somehow I missed out. It's about uh, where did Ramadan come from? So, Ramadan. Um, was a special month which uh, right from the beginning uh, it's the month as Allah says in the Quran in which the Quran was revealed Shahr Ramadan Quran. then there's a debate as to whether it's because the month is so special that's why the Quran was revealed there or the month became special because the Quran was revealed there right? but either way it's that month where Allah has designated because he couldn't do 12 months if you do 12 months same thing then it, you don't get the same benefits so the psychology is that for that one month, you do special and Allah just opens the doors of paradise up, closes the hell, hellfire. That's what, in Islam, that's what, that's what they tell us in the hadith of Bukhari and he deactivates the shaitans for us. So that's where the significance comes that we learn about it from the Quran and from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa